WBZ original. Animal. Animal. Is that the name of the song? Animals. I'm not. I, I, rooster. Um, no, no, that's I'm, Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails. That's Damn good. Okay. I have a big you crush don't know on the him. That's okay. Nine Inch Nails and Alice and Chains. Oh, my God. Hi, everybody. Welcome in to episode 16 of season two here on Studio mm. BZ. I am Paula Evan. We're joined by a special guest, another co-host <laughs> this week. Hi, I'm Lisa Hughes, joining everyone here on the podcast. We today. all recognize all right, that Lisa. voice. Oh, yeah. Welcome yeah. in. Let's do the wave. Ready? One, two, three. Two, three. You and that really, really played on a podcast. I'm Leah Martin. I have almost no voice left, but in the podcast world, there are no days off. It's true. And so you fight through it. You get to bring it. I should also mention we have next week off. So uh, we will uh, we will be digging in this week on a couple of topics, though. We have Tori Bullock. He is this local viral video king. He makes videos about growing up as a young man in Boston, being a black person, what that's like. He has this very funny viral, viral video about the Dorchester Historical Society's snafu with their Christmas card when they wrote, we're dreaming of a white Dorchester. So we're going to talk with him about some of his viral videos, how he got into this business, and what his plans are for the future. And then we talk to a 23-year-old, really what I think of as a kid, uh, Nick Papamitru of Upton, Mass., who just happens to be a producer for the huge rap and hip-hop star Meek Mill. And it's a fascinating story about how they connected, how they found each other, and also how we here at WBZ found out about Nick, and you get the sense this is a kid who is about to become incredibly famous. And I'm John Keller asking, what was some of the best new music of 2018? Answer, don't ask me. I don't have the slightest idea. I stopped following new music in about 1978. But luckily, someone much, much hipper than me, Lisa Hughes, is here to run down some of her top picks. Awesome. So if we want to know about Steely Dan... We'll come to you. Come to John Keller. <laughs> Steely <laughs> Dan. That era. Paula, this isn't that <laughs> kind of show. This is a family <laughs> show. Our guest is Tori Bullock. He's a Boston resident and performance artist who has blown up on social media with videos about gentrification, snow days in Boston, and a recent controversy surrounding the Dorchester Historical Society's insensitive, shall we say, insensitive... Christmas card. Tori, thank you so much for coming in. We really oh, appreciate it's it. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So great to meet you. And we want to jump in right away because people did see this in our newscast just a couple of weeks ago that uh, you had said in your video that you didn't think the people from the Dorchester Historical Society meant to do anything inappropriate or racist, but and they apologized. And then you posted a video. And uh, we'll hear some of that. It's crazy because when stuff like this happens, my immediate thing is to think racism. Like, man, there are people out there that are just super racist, right? But that's really not the case because what's actually happening and what they actually are is a lot, lot scarier. They're clueless. I think that this is another product of not having anybody that doesn't look like you in the room. You know, diversity. These situations just continue to show me that they're clearly are people out there who still do not have black friends. So here's what I'm offering here, white people. I will be your black friend. I'm starting a brand new program, y'all. It's called Diversatory. The aim of Diversatory will be to check you when nobody else will. And should we say that the, the card said, dreaming of a white Dorchester, of course, trying to play off the famous Christmas song, and it did not go well for the Historical Society. They have since apologized. Um, it, what? Why did you make this video? What did you uh, make? Well, okay, so working backwards a little bit, the first thing I thought of when I saw the situation pop up, I was actually driving down the road, and I had no intention of making a video, and then I heard it, and I was like, wait, there's no way that actually happened. <laughs> and then I, re- I uh, did my research on it, and the first thought I had was, here we go again, um, just because it felt like there was so there's always so many situations popping up on my feed that are just kind of just racially insensitive to the point of like, not, oh, they're trying to be racist, but more so there really wasn't anybody to check this before it got off the factory floor type of thing. And in fact, in the video, you say you offer your services basically as a black friend oh, yes, to people. <laughs> yes. Or, or, say, or to organizations that yeah. would like to email you. Yes. Organizations are sending out their Christmas card and they go, 
Is this insensitive? I need to check. It. What was the what was yeah, the goal no, there? So you offered those services. Literally, while I'm making the video, I, I, with all the video work I do, I don't just like to make videos. I like to have a video and then something for the people to do after it. Hmm. Um, whether it's a petition, I, there was a video I did for the Strand Theater, and we got to like start a petition to get a new theater space inside there. So I always like to have a, a sense of action to all my videos. And with this one, I was just ranting, and it just came to me while I was just uh, improving. Like, you know what? It would be great if there was an actual like a black friend that could talk to these people and just be like you know what i will listen to your idea and tell you if you are on the edge or not did anyone actually reach out to you 25 inquiries since i posted the video serious kinds of questions okay so well i have i've set up five uh i've done two meetings so far and i have five more to go of just meeting and just consulting um but no it's literally and it runs the gamut there are some people who recognize the humor in it. And your whole point of the video was that when people just sort of at large hear the word diversity, uh, what it means is you were saying if if there had been a black person present or involved in that historical society, it would have not even have occurred to them. To exactly. Write something like yeah, that, right? exactly. Yeah, it's just it just having the representation in the room. I feel like a lot of times when people hear the word diversity, just like I say in the video, they just hear black people want jobs, give me some jobs. And is that's not that's not what it is. It's about there's a collective energy out there and there's there's like a collective thought that groups are having that if there's a person of color in the room, they can say, actually, uh, maybe we don't want to do this and here's why. That's not going to be taken well. Yeah, exactly. They have a different experience. They've heard it a different way potentially. Has anyone run an idea by you and you've said, yeah, you know what, that actually is insensitive. Not yet. I'm waiting for it, but it hasn't come yet. (laughs) That's good. That's that's promising. Let's just back up a little bit because you're a graduate of the Boston Arts Academy. So talk about what drew you to that school and how your experience there formed your talent? Uh, literally, it was, I mean, my what drew me to that school is what drives a lot of people to Boston Arts Academy, and I mean this in the best way I can, but I was just a weird kid. Like, I was a, <laughs> I was a kid that loved art and creating stuff, and at the time... You were an interesting I was kid. an interesting kid. Eccentric. Yes, I was e- eccentric. Well, I, I mean, I... For me, I mean, in my heart, I, I, I like the term weird because, like, <laughs> it, it was just... It's just out of the box, and I didn't know how to define it. I just there was so much stuff going on. I liked this stuff, but I couldn't say why. People have called um, me weird. You were like, and I, it's okay. You know, sometimes, sometimes me. Some. <laughs> no, but you're you were looking for like-minded people. Yes, yes. Study, so, all right, yeah. Right? So, um, and did you felt really known there at at Boston Arts Academy? Yeah. Well, I mean. To, to go back a little bit, I got into BAA. I always like saying this story because it's such a lovely story about teachers and the power that teachers have. But I was in the eighth grade, and I was super shy. I hated talking. Could not, ugh, it's yeah. too much. I still have a little bit of it, but. Seventh and eighth grade boys hate that. Yeah, just not for me, right? And uh, she noticed that. And one day I was doing, she gave the assignment to do a book report. And she pulled me aside and she said, Tori, why don't you, why don't you write this in the form of a skit? Like, you know, just uh, present it in front of the class. So I go home and instantly I'm like, okay, book report. Okay, Siskel and Ebert. Okay, I'll do like a review. So I go in front of the class. I do this review thing and the class starts laughing. And I, in that moment I was like, oh. oh that's powerful. Yep. And then when I left that room, she pulled me aside. Everybody's, good job, Tori, good job. And she pulls me aside and she says uh, some of the most important words I've ever heard in my life, have you ever thought of doing theater? And then from that point, that got me to audition for BAA, and then the rest is history. So what happened after Boston Arts Academy? At what point did you decide, I have something to say, I want to just point a camera at myself and just kind of talk because that's the way a lot of your videos are. They're kind of just stream of consciousness. You're just talking about an issue. Yeah. So like when I got out of school, I just started acting professionally, actually. Um, I joined up with a theater company and I started producing my own work. There was a show that I had uh, called Articulation, which was a a poetry meets theater production through uh, Company One over at Boston Center for the Arts. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a few years and it, it, it made me... We were doing poetry about issues that were happening in our communities. So it made me start to realize all the different issues that were going on in my community that I didn't really know about. Hmm. But just talking about them. It was years and years and years of just talking, saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And then by the time it got to my video stuff, it was like, oh, I can actually start to not just talk about it, but create events around it, create movements around it. So You created, a, or you posted a video about the first snow day in Boston. Oh, yeah. And that really mm-hmm. took off. Were you oh, taken yeah. by surprise? I was taken by absolute surprise by that thing because <laughs> as an artist, I've created so much work 
in my life that I'm like, please support this. Please just look at it. Please just give me some shine for it. And people would be like, oh, yeah, it's cute. Good job. Good, good three-hour play there, buddy. But who cares? <laughs> but this 30-second on my way home and just, you know, let's make a video of Snow Day. It's coming tomorrow. And I was so excited. I just did this little rap. And then I put it up, and I woke up the next morning, and it was everywhere. Yeah, it ended up on the Today Show, yeah, I think. it and was crazy. It hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views. You paired up Rocky yep. with your own song about it being the first snow day. And I think with people just probably related to it's your universal. excitement about yeah, it. Yeah, you know, it's kids, story. You're so excited about that sort of thing. Um, your best-known video, I, I would think, just in terms of views, is the one that you recorded two years ago about luxury condos. Now, you may be sitting here thinking to yourself, okay, Tori, you have luxury apartments to your left and luxury apartments to your right, but what does that have to do with you? If you're not interested in luxury apartments, just don't buy a luxury apartment. Well, here's what it has to do with me. You see all these apartments in the middle of these two amazing, beautiful luxury apartments, luxury condos that are about to be popped up. The rent is going through the roof. You think I'm playing? You think there's a joke? Let's take a look. Like, look at all this stuff. We're talking about studio apartments where one person is going to be living there. In order to afford some of these rents, I need two to three people to be in that studio apartment with me. And it's a studio apartment. And we've actually talked a lot about this phenomenon on this podcast uh, and on our show at eight about this luxury housing boom in Boston. Many of the units, which go for millions and millions of dollars, are actually empty. LLCs are buying them up. The people don't actually even live in them. They're using them as investment properties. And in the meantime, everyone else's rents uh, go up. And tell us what it was that you saw there that you decided you wanted to comment on. Yeah, I saw what I see all around the city. And what a lot of us see is just these buildings coming out of nowhere and are just these huge skyscrapers of like, oh, luxury apartments and condos. But it just made me ask the question of who are these for? Because at the point that I was seeing them pop up, I had friends who were moving out of Boston because rent's too high. The area that I was actually shooting that video on, people were moved, being priced out of their apartments because these two high-rises are being put in on like opposite sides of the street. So it just it, it just felt like, okay, there's something going on. It feels really unfair. I have to talk about and it. And watching you on the sidewalk sort of pointing between these two buildings and showing how they just cropped up out of nowhere, it... it occurs to you as you're watching it you're you're really combining social commentary with your humor and your ability to uh tell a story with video is it really important to you to stay in the city of boston and do this as opposed to going to new york which is what so many theater and acting people do? that's a really good question uh first i'm kind of jealous that you stumbled upon my secret recipe for my video <laughs> but um, in terms of the getting up and moving i mean i love i love boston and artists biggest gripe with boston is that there's nothing here for them mm. um, it's too close and yet too far from yeah, new york exactly right? but my thing is that how will there ever be ever how will there ever be anything here for us if we're not here to build it because like the thing I love most about Boston I can't find in New York is this. Like, I'm a guy who sits on the internet and makes videos, really good videos, <laughs> but I'm on a podcast with WBZ talking about my videos. I'm not sure that would happen in L.A. or New York because it's so small here that if you have something that catches people's eye, you can really do a lot of stuff with you it. You can really make a big impact. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious when you hear a comedian like Michael Shea, for instance. He's right. Make jokes Sometimes. about Boston, Sometimes. right? Sometimes. Does that bother you? Or? It, it doesn't bother me because my perspective on it is is similar. And, and when I hear somebody who's not from here have that perspective, it's like, I mean, guys, like no matter what we feel about our city, the fact that a guest can come here and stay here for an hour, a day, a week, and leave and feel that that's their perspective – whether or not we feel that's a real thing or not, there's something here giving that impression off. You're saying that the impression that Boston is a racist yeah. city. Yeah, the, so, yeah, and, and the fact that Michael Che was like, you know, Boston is, is one of the most racist cities I've been to. Now, it's that's a really big statement, especially when I, you know, knowing the history of America and different places in America and, and mm-hmm. their, their levels of racism. Um, but I also take into consideration that that's a celebrity who travels around America and he sees a lot of places. So if he's making that statement, maybe there's something here that's giving that vibe off. You, getting back to the talk about the luxury condos, and you've also done videos about gentrification. Has the city ever reached out to you, the mayor's office, and said, hey, let's talk about this? Uh, I have an interesting relationship with the city, <laughs> with, with City <laughs> Hall in the city of Boston. Um, because I I started off my relationship with them as a young artist with a lot of ideas and literally just an artist guy off the street 
hey, I have some ideas for my community. What can we really do here? And um, I was often given just the kind of, all right, buddy, go, you know, thanks for your idea, but we have this area taken care of. And then when I started to make these videos and go viral, the phone started ringing. And I started taking meetings with, with City Hall and with, with people in City Hall and, and, the, um, and the Office of Arts and Tourism talking about some of these ideas that I had. And if there was a possibility on the feasibility on bringing some of them to life. Has any of that been productive? No. No? <laughs> no. It's been productive in the sense of um, me learning the system and learning what it actually takes to really get something done and push something through. And it's not always just about having a really good idea, but it's about having kind of uh, some of the politics behind bringing that idea to life when you get the city involved can be a lot. When a lot of people drive down the Mass Pike and they look at Boston, they see all those cranes on the mm. horizon and they hear there's a building boom in Boston and there's so mm. much going on. They think that's great. Every city in America wants this. So from someone living in Dorchester, what's your message to the the person outside who's looking and thinking, well, what a great economic time this is? Well, it is. It, it is a great economic time for certain people. And but for others, it's a, a time of transition and a time of, hey, you got to move on because other people have come, are coming. Mm -hmm. So, But it's hard because I'm not telling, hey, if you happen to be very financially well off in your life, I'm not saying, if you come to Boston, you're going to ruin everybody's lives and don't come here type of thing. Life is life. I'm just saying that when you do come here, you should probably know that there is a culture and a uh, a community of people that are being pushed out as a result. In fact, you actually set up what you called a, a, it was a gentrification game yes. in Upham's yeah. Corner yeah. near where you grew up in Dorchester. Tell us about that. What oh, was yeah, the idea yeah. there? Yeah, that was that was that was a crazy one. That was um, so it felt like everyone's reaction to gentrification happening and the luxury condos popping up. It felt like people were treating it like a game. Like it was just like, oh, this area, there's something there. This area, there's something there. And because people were treating it like a game, I felt like, man, we should probably have a definitive board game for this, uh, for this issue. So what I did was I created an actual life-size board game um, and took over uh, space over at, over in Upham's Corner. It, it's the old Citizens Bank that's been um, since closed down, and just took it over and put up a life-size board game um, in, inside of that old bank, and people just came pop-up style and played the game. How did people react to it, and how did the game work? Oh, it was crazy. It was, it, <laughs> it, it was one of those games. It was, it was a game that was kind of more so of an art installation than a game because there was only one outcome that could happen. Can I ask, your videos have hundreds of thousands of views. Um, how do white people react your videos and how did they react in that gentrification game? Obviously, we're not a monolith, but have you noticed a, a, a difference in the way right, white people react to your content versus black people? Don't take this the wrong way, but white people love me. It is because, <laughs> it's, it's, but it's because it's, it's, it boggles my mind though, because a lot of my a lot of people who hit me up and a lot of people who stop me on the street are like white people and especially older white people, and I think it's because. There's nothing that I post online that is mean. I'm never mean. I'm never like, I hate these people and we need to da-da-da. It's a comedy about solutions. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a solution. It's like, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying all these businesses need to go out and hire, you know, all the, all the black people and fix the system. It's more, I'm your black friend and I just want to talk to you about what you're doing there. And because I go through it that way, no matter how you feel about any of the topics I bring up, everybody feels the love of it. Do you consider yourself... An activist first or an artist first? And what's the relationship between those two? Very good question. Um, I would consider myself an artist first. Um, an artist that picks certain issues that can be told through a, an activist lens. But I never want to... There's so, there's so much responsibility and work that goes into being an activist. And I've met activists in Boston. I'm not an activist. I'm a guy that points the light and says, this is going on over there. And uh, sometimes our, our interests line up. But for the most part, I'm, I'm interested in plays. I, I like writing plays and shorts and, you know, creating all that stuff. And the video stuff is, is my wing of activism. But So you're holding a mirror up to Boston. Do you have a project in your mind up next? Oh, absolutely! I'm I'm planned for the next year and a half. Like I'm, we're we're ready to go. But you're not ready to reveal it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The the next project I will be doing is is on stage. I'm getting back on stage in a live 
event style thing. Woo, where Great. and when, or do you not totally do not know have, the I, I have I have a, a tentative where in my mind. It is a, a, a complex I will be taking over. We're not just doing a stage. We're doing an upstairs, multi-level thing. Like a pop-up Yeah, like a pop-up art performance place. art piece. Yeah. Are you going to promise to come back and talk to us will, about it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, come on. You. you guys are my new home spot for, for all my pieces. I'll definitely contact you guys. Well, we just love your videos, Tori. We think yeah. it's, a, it's a community service. They're funny. Uh, they're informative. We love watching them. We love having you on the show. Thank yeah. you so thank much. Thank you so much. Nick Papamitru is a young man who grew up in Upton, Mass., which is a town in central Massachusetts right outside of Worcester. He attended St. John's High School, class of 2014. Wow. And then, Nick, you were saying... Um, well, tell us about what your mom and dad did. Uh, my dad's a director of IT, and my mom's a stay-at-home mom. I have uh, two uh, younger brothers and a younger sister. Yeah, and so you graduated from St. John's, yes. and talk about where you decided to go on to college and what you majored in. Uh, I went to Hudson University in Bangor, Maine, and I studied audio engineering and ended up getting my degree uh, finally this year, and finally uh, finished it off, and now I'm a full-time beat maker. <laughs> How did you? discover that this was something you were good at and that you wanted to do? Uh, well, my little brother, Alex, he started making beats way before me. And like during high school, I was always having rappers come to my basement and like recording them. I, I loved engineering, like just recording and just the, the art of the music doing it. I didn't really make the beats. My brother did. So one day I was like, you know what? I want to know what it is to kind of just make beats. So I downloaded the software he had. And then all of a sudden, I just fell in love with it. And then I started putting beats on YouTube and started getting, like, millions of hits. And I was just like, this is it. Well, well, this was the thing. In 2016, yes. you were posting beats and posting all your stuff on Instagram. Yes. What happened? Uh, I got found on Instagram by uh, one of Meek's people. His name is Coon Philly. So uh, Meek Mill, the rapper, liked your Instagram yeah, post. Yeah, he, he, li- he, he liked my Instagram post while I was in class. And I was looking <laughs> at my phone. I was looking at my phone. I didn't I, – I just, like, kept, like – triple taking I'm like wait hold on a second this isn't, <laughs> this isn't real yeah and then about 10 minutes later I got a phone call and it ended up being one of Meek's people saying they wanted to sign me and I, f- I was in class I flipped my desk walked out I <laughs> thought I had to drop out of college I thought I was done doing homework for the rest of my life <laughs> did you but, actually flip your desk yeah I flipped my desk because you thought I'm out yeah, of here everyone looked Forget at you everyone people. looked at me like I was crazy <laughs> Yeah. Did you explain? You, Meek Mill just uh, liked my post. I didn't explain to a lot of people in the class because I didn't know. It was a big class. So I didn't yeah. tell everybody, but people that I knew I did. This is good. This is a very cinematic moment for the movie of your life when you're like yeah. Quincy Jones in right. your seven. The yes. biopic. Someone will the biopic. play you doing it. Yes. <laughs> the desk. <laughs> when you say, so Meek Mill started, he used to be with Jay-Z's record label, but started his own record label, mm. Dream Chasers. Dream Chasers, right? Yep. And you were the first producer he signed? Yes, very first producer. Only producer, too. What does it mean to be signed? Uh, basically I'm his personal producer like there's other people for example Metro Boomin has Future Murder Beats has the Migos I have Meek that's like my person so whenever we're in the studio he knows that like I have the type of sound that he's looking for that's why he signed me basically so I've been traveling back and forth to New York for probably the last oh man like seven weeks it's been like you get there at like eight I get a call at eight o'clock at night saying hey I need you in the studio. Because he's so just I, had an idea and he, he needs had, to put yeah, a beat to it? Actually, shout out to Cruz because Cruz is my manager and he's also Meek Mill's engineer. So he would put the place together for me and make sure everything is set up right. And he knew when for me to come out there to make sure I get those placements on the album. Because if I wasn't there in person, it would have been a lot different. Right. So are you just kind of on salary and you're on call? Yes. To them whenever yes. Are you going to yes. just move to New York at some point? Or uh, do you just love central Massachusetts so I much? Love, that? I love Boston. Like, I can't get rid of Boston. It's so it's such a nice city. New York is definitely a nice city, but I personally could never live there. It's a little wild it, it's there. It's really wild. <laughs> it can be overwhelming. It's really so overwhelming. Tell yeah. us, what was your first song where you laid the beats for Meek Mill. And just tell us what that moment was like. So uh, one of the first songs we did was called Young Dreams. And that was Meek Mill featuring YFN Lucci. And that song, it didn't really like blow me up. It just kind of like set the tone. They're like, all right, this is what this kid can do. And can I ask, does he give you the lyrics that he's written and sort of I generally want to have this pacing and you then lay the beats? Or does it work the other way where you give him some beats and he's trying to make the music fit with that? So what I do is 
he'll tell me, hey, Nick, you got some beats to play? I'll play the beats. And then if he's playing the same beat for more than 20 seconds, like replaying it, then he's going he's gonna to rap on it. So he'll just start. He doesn't write lyrics. He doesn't take his phone out and write anything. He just goes in the mic and just starts rapping. Really? When yeah. he hears what you've put together. Mm-hmm. Is it all electronic at this point, or are you working with musicians in the studio as well? Um, I'm actually, I do it all on my laptop. I, everything's electronic, so I'll just like put everything in just by ear. So how long does it take to make a beat? Um, it can range from anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour. I've like for example the very first song the intro song I made that on spot for Meek like right in the studio so like it was really pressured and it didn't sound very good I'm not gonna lie until the next day where I came in sat down for a couple hours by myself no one in the studio and just sat and did it so beats like that for example like the intro is like that's the first song of the album that's gotta be good I, right. I spend at least like two hours three hours on there there's video of you on YouTube making a beat for Meek in five minutes. Oh, yeah. That's another one. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you know, like, as soon as you hear it come together, can you sense, like, oh, this is going to be a hit? Uh, yeah. It's all, everything's based off the melody. It, if you have the right melody, you can picture or sound in your head what the drums are going to sound like. That's how I usually go about it. And if I don't, if I can't picture it, then I just scrap the beat and go on another one. I wonder, are you naturally rhythmic where you've always kind of had this sense of a beat or is it more so that on the computer and from your audio engineering uh, classes that you have kind of figured out the pacing by laying it out on the computer? I think it's just naturally just happened. I I look, there's a lot of people like it's crazy because like I look up to a lot of people and I like now I finally work with them and it's just like a crazy feeling. And (laughs) I used to take like, like they're not like take their ideas, but like just get an influence you know yeah mm-hmm. and that's what really like helped me you must at this point have met rick ross jay-z yes. drake what do they say to you do they, do oh, they compliment man. you and tell you that you've really got a talent here? i haven't met jay-z yet i would love to meet jay-z but <laughs> I, I think I've, he could ha- make I've, it happen yeah i've met so. i've met a lot of people i met like for example rick ross i met him outside of a, a restaurant and he like we knew like we were just saying hi to each other we took a picture he put it on his instagram but do you see this being just where you're going to stay with meek's record label and just make as many albums as you can with that group or where do you see your career going um i see my career definitely signing to like a big label like rock nation and atlantic records definitely down the line but i wouldn't be opposed like saying with meek because Mm -hmm. me and meek have just like that sound that everyone loves and it's really interesting i think most people who are not rapper hip-hop fans or hadn't heard of him before because of music heard Mm -hmm. of him for the first time because of robert Kraft. Mm -hmm. um First of all, you said it was very exciting to meet Robert Kraft. Yeah, that was crazy. Oh, you met him through this process. And for people who don't know, Robert Kraft lobbied to get Meek Mill out of prison prison. successfully. And he's very involved in prison reform. Yes, as well as Michael Rubin as well. Yeah. You know, working on this album after he was out of prison, what was that like? Did he ever talk to you about it? This sort of larger picture? Um, not really. No one really talked about it besides like other people in the studio. Like he would say sometimes, like, "Oh, like I'm still on bail," you know, like I'm not like free yet. Mm-hmm. Which I like. That's you know, it's a scary thing to think about. I wouldn't even. I can't even imagine what that feels like. Right. But and it's obviously it influences all the lyrics. Yeah, that, that's his lyrics. Like, what's free? From example, with Rick Ross mm-hmm. and Jeezy, that's like the that's a song he really talks about. Yeah. Everything. And one of his 2017 songs was was Save Me as well, which Save I think me. was about spending time yeah. in prison and not being able to see his son. What, does he at any point come to you and say, hey, this, this song that I'm working on right now is about my time in prison or it's about something more serious and I want something that's going to reflect that in the beat as opposed to a more upbeat song? Um, or is it, again, is it more you kind of give him a catalog of stuff you've been working on and he tries to fit the lyrics to that? Personally, I just give him a beat full of different types of vibes. Like one will be some pain beats, some will be some like hard club beats. Mm-hmm. I just I like to mix it up because you have better chances of getting a placement. So now you're going on tour with him. Yeah, I was th- yeah we're, we're still figuring that out. I'm not really sure what the deal is yet because it's in February. So we still got a lot of time to think about it. But that's something like we def- like I definitely want to do because I, I, we're not, I'm not doing anything. I mean, I'm just making, the U.S. I'm making, I'm, yeah, just the U.S. I'm making beats for other people and stuff like that. But like I definitely want to like experience that. That's something I really just want to do. Being in front of a live audience. Yeah, in front of a live audience. And just because I was actually just at um, – uh, the powerhouse show in uh, Philadelphia, and I was just on stage 
actually, no, it was in New York, and I was, uh, we were on stage, and I was looking around, like, this is really, like, my life right now. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> what do your parents say? Oh, my dad loves it. My dad, it, he loves it. He made, even made, like, an Instagram account, follows everybody in Meek's crew. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny. He's driving down the street blasting yeah. Meek Mill. Yeah, he knows more about the music industry, like, getting, like, like how you get your money, how to, mm-hmm. like, market yourself more than I do. That's good. Yeah. You well, got a manager. How have you found, you're, you're such a young guy, how have you found navigating that part of the music industry? Because my understanding is it can be brutal. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it can just be a tough business, as oh. TV can, of course, as well. How have you navigated that so far at your age? Do you have someone that's kind of given you yes, advice? Yes, I have uh, well, actually a really good guy. Is Like I said, Cruz, my manager, he's like my guider for everything. He knows what to do, what to, what to, what to say. He deals with like the paperwork with like Rock Nation for me and stuff like that. So I just I just sit back and kind of just I, I, I like to get in and like figure out too so I can learn. Mm-hmm. But him, they like to figure it out. Sometimes I'll have like my dad like help figure it out because he's like I said really good at that stuff. So is Cruz based in New York? Yes, he's from New York. And so you go there occasionally. You mm-hmm. said you don't really love it. Uh, when you come home, do you go home to Upton? Yes, with my, I, with my, so with my parents. And you like it there? Yeah, so I love it that way. I'm definitely going to move out soon. but <laughs> <laughs> Stay as long as but you not can. Too far. Stay it's as true. long not as you can, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> please. Lost, not too far. That's right. <laughs> and what's a day like for you? Do you just wake up and you go, oh, I've, I've got something bouncing around in my yeah, head. See, I'm going to lay that down. I feel down. like a lot of people think that like making beats isn't a job. Like just because you have the whole day to yourself and you can choose when you want to make beats, it's it is a job. Like you have to have an ear for it. You have to have the connections to make money and stuff like that. So making a beat, when I go, when I wake up, I usually wake up at like nine o'clock in the morning. I'll go right downstairs, start making beats. And next thing you know, I'm down here for like five hours. I don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. I'm making beats and then I'll take a break because sometimes you can't be sitting at your laptop all day because your ears start to get bored out and it's not good for you. Do you ever find find yourself writing lyrics as well? Is that something you're interested in at all or is it Uh, just the beats? Just the beats. I've tried rapping before, like a long time ago, and that was just not for me. <laughs> no, no way. You are not an in front <laughs> no of my guys. Way. Well, best of luck. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's it's fantastic. I've been listening to the album, as you said, a bunch of Billboard 100s already. Yeah. So it seems like it's going well. What's your favorite song off the album? Well, uh, the, my favorite song of his is "Save Me," but that's Save not me. off this album yet, right? Yeah, so I, I haven't thought... listened a ton to the new album. Yeah. Um, but I do like "Save Me" a lot. And Paula was having I've me listened listen to, to "Going the... Bad." What's free? Paula has young ish children <laughs> I have got, in their twenties yes. and they're all yeah. very excited oh, about this. Oh, yeah. So. Huge oh fans. yeah. So. <laughs> That's great. Best of luck. Congratulations on your early success. And Thank you seem you. like you've got a great head on your shoulders. Yes. And this is gonna be a great career for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. One of the most interesting parts of this story is how we found out about Nick. And for that, we turn to our social media maven, as John dubbed her, <laughs> Ali Doda. So I got a message on Instagram that said, you have to look at this kid. He's from Upton. He's Meek Mill's producer. You, re- you guys should really take a look. And so I wrote him back. I said, we're very interested. How do you know him? How can we get in contact with him? And he goes, oh, well, he's my son, so I can just let him know. (laughs) Proud dad. So I guess the message is, if your son or daughter is an up-and-coming hip-hop producer, get in touch with WBZ. Oh, we are going to get so many requests (laughs) now. Our city is truly the hub. The hub of the universe. So what would some of the best, coolest new music of 2018 Again, I, I wouldn't know. Ever since I got uh, satellite radio in the car, I'm just listening to Soul Town. Soul Town? Where, yeah, where there, there's nothing later than 1973. <laughs> but, uh, uh, however, luckily, we have with us someone who does know a lot about contemporary music and uh, has some very strong opinions on it, our very own Lisa Hughes. Lisa, what rocked your world in 2018? Let's go early with Kendrick Lamar and what he wrote for the Black Panther soundtrack. It was a great movie. It was wildly entertaining. And this disc is very much the same way. And in the same way that women were strong in the film and central characters, um, they play a key role on this record. Um, Of course, you know, All the Stars with SZA, which closes out the movie with the credits. Mm -hmm. Um, She has a beautiful voice. 
Kendrick Lamar is actually on every one of these tracks. He may not be the principal voice. Um, the Weeknd is on this. Georgia Smith, who's British, is on this. She's wildly talented. It's um, diverse. It's interesting. It's There's pop. There's you know, I suppose less accessible pieces, but they're all great and relevant whether you saw the movie or not. I fight the world, I fight you, I fight myself, I fight God, just tell me how many burdens left. I fight pain and hurricanes, today I wept. I'm trying to fight back tears, flood on my doorsteps. Life in living hell, puddles of blood in the street, shooters on top of the building, government aid ain't relief. Earthquake, the body drop, the ground breaks, the poor run with smoke lungs and scar face. Who need a hero? Hero. So with Kanye's meltdown this year, is, is he is Kendrick Lamar undisputed number one? Yeah, I think he is. I mean, I, I think so. I'm sure there'd be plenty of people who want to debate Some that. Some people might but, say Chance. Um, oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And you know what? I, I Also great. I mean, I think, you know, but yeah, I, I think he's in a special category, I mm-hmm. think. I think he, I think he's, I think he's really an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, he has long, long lasting power. Well, if it came out early and that's your pick for one of, if not yes. the best, does that speak to this being a mediocre year? Or I don't were there think other, so. What else really? No, I don't think so really at all. In fact, I think what's great about this year, and, and, and maybe it's just that my consciousness was raised about different artists this year, but I feel like there was so much good music. Um, and and my I, the next pick, I would say, is Casey Musgraves. She has a beautiful voice. Uh, she plays the guitar. She lives in Nashville. But there is there's some electronica, a, t- a tiny bit. I would say there are electronic elements on this record, um, but also throwback country elements. The banjo is prominent in some of these songs. Her songs are also um, a little bit edgy for Nashville. So she has this reputation. Um, she likes her marijuana, and she's uh, a little bit of an outlier a in that way. Edge. But to look at her, you would not assume that necessarily. And yeah, Paula. Yeah, country artists have had this crossover. You know, yeah. Taylor Swift, sure. of course, being the most Great famous example. among them. But there are some people, I think, especially in New England, who still are just like, no, can't do it, can't embrace country. What do you say to someone about just try it, just listen to her? So I'm not a big country fan. I'll be the first to admit, and I know someone's now going to throw a tomato at you know their Alexa or whatever. <laughs> you know. Can I, am I allowed to do my country music joke now? Absolutely. <laughs> what do you get if you uh, play country music in Rwanda? You get your dog back, you get your truck back, you get your girl back. That's, that's my contribution to this conversation, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was pretty good. So in this, like, you know, there's songs about letting the guy go who was never a good match in the first place, but also then meeting the guy she wants to spend the rest of her life with. And there's a very, very short song about her mother, and but it's not sentimental. I mean, there, it's very spirited. You can have your I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that country. It's not twangy country. Um, but but she definitely has roots in country. But to your point, Paul, and what you're observing, John, is that she's she, she can she can do different things. The harmonies there feel kind of country to yeah. me. But, but in a nice way, it had Dixie Chicks feel to it a little bit. Yeah, a more Pretty contemporary voice. kind of indie definitely, feel to definitely. it. Definitely. And the song is Space Cowboy. So yeah. it's, you know, yeah. sort of calling on all Well, you mentioned Western. marijuana mm. before, so... <laughs> <laughs> which, which, by the way, is completely no, legal now. For, for the record, I mentioned because it's her thing. Okay. <laughs> Just want to be really right, clear. Right. Got that. <laughs> Does it seem, though, that the country music has gotten more um, universal in the sense that I remember the Dixie Chicks went – they almost fell off the earth when they criticized President Bush at the time. Right. It was a huge blow to their careers. And then here she is as a country music star talking openly about using marijuana. I feel like even – 15 years ago, and maybe this says more about the way people view marijuana now than it does about country music, but 15 years ago, I think that could have derailed her career. And maybe both. And maybe it's also that country music appeals to so many more people, partly because of the crossover artists and the way it's become um, more accepted in more places and more popular among more people. Um, But you're right. It does represent a bit of a sea change, even from how people across the country looked at marijuana, I don't know, five years ago. Johnny Cash can tell you that. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because as the resident, you know, senior citizen here... (laughs) 
please. <laughs> I mean, I, I, seriously, if you, if you listen to the music of the 60s, you'll be listening to, you know, whatever, the, the pop sure. of the day. And then all of a sudden there'll be uh, a Bob Dylan with Lay Lady Lay or a Johnny Cash song. So country, to the extent that country music is authentic and real roots music, it's always had crossover appeal. Yeah. And I think now, Elvis. N- as never before in my lifetime, there's a market for authenticity, no matter what the genre is. Uh, well said. Ixnay on the yep. auto-tuning and the fake yeah. studio riffs uh, bring on more of the of real soul, whether that's country soul, uh, right. indie, or what have you. Right. What's next? I think Leon Bridges is next. Oh my gosh. So see, I knew there would oh, be something for Leon Liam Bridges. on this. So this is Leon Bridges, who is young to be so soulful. He is so good. I wouldn't say every song on this record is a home run. Um, Sounds like Maxwell. A little bit? Older. Almost like an old soul. Throwback. Um, Really throwback. But also, his lyrics are pretty contemporary. Um, And there is a beautiful song. It's interesting how this comes up in the Casey Musgraves record and in this beautiful song for his mother, uh, which is Georgia to Texas, I believe. It's the second song he's written for her with all this saxophone, all these jazz elements. So, you know, this also, I think he dabbles in different genres, but really talented uh, young guy who sings old beyond his years. <laughs> kind of a young hip-hop Marvin Gaye. Yeah. I, that's who Al he Giro. reminds me of more. Marvin Gaye. Two. He, yes. he sprang onto the scene in 2015. How old was he at that point? He was in his he's very in his tw- early 20s. 20s. Yeah, so I think he's in his late 20s now. He may be 30. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he had a couple of huge hits with that 2015. Coming Home and River. Right. Um, is this album as good, do you think? I do. I do. I think on, on all of these, there are like two you might say, eh, it's not my favorite song. I would say that on the older ones too, but it's but it is, it's really, really good. Don't you feel like in music, people have so much more of an opportunity now, whether they are not people who would have been selected by a mainstream record label years ago, or they just don't have the opportunity to be in New York or LA, like Nick, who we talked to about just releasing stuff on Instagram or YouTube. Right. It's amazing. And younger artists who might not have ever gotten a look. Right. And, and even when you talk about the marketing of music, companies that are looking for influencers, everyone's trying to get that next sound that's going to stick. And so I feel like the the possibilities are really endless. I mean, you you have to obviously be extremely resourceful to get yourself out there. But once you do, if you've got something, there's a whole world. What's the best live performance you saw this year, Lisa? Hmm. That is a good question. So, so this is where I, this is a little bit of a struggle for me. I love seeing live music. I don't love huge venues. So I'm guessing that some of the best shows this year were at places like Gillette, TD Garden. You know, I saw, as I mentioned, I saw Death Cab for Cutie at The Wang, and I saw Alice in Chains at House of Blues. Um, and I actually got to see Garbage uh, warm up oh, for yeah. their show when we were reporting during the Red Sox run for the World Series, which was also a thrill. I love Garbage. Right? I mean, just to see Shirley Manson on stage talking to people and, you know, you're in an audience of 15 was really, really great. Um, but I didn't see a lot of big shows. I like little venues um, mm-hmm. and had tickets to see Brazilian girls for the first time in years. And then I got pneumonia. So I can't even weigh in on that show, which was unfortunate. <laughs> How can okay, so... You may be wondering. Now, wait. This is St. Vincent. So this, the actual track that we've been listening to is from 2017. So St. Vincent's record, Mass Seduction, came out in 2017. Lots of electronic sounds. Mass Seduction. Mass Seduction. Um, Annie Clark is St. Vincent's real name. Um, She is the niece of Tuck and Patty, if you're familiar with them as artists. Um, She is incredibly talented and a prolific songwriter. What she did in 2018 was to reimagine all of the songs from Mass Seduction as instrumentals uh, or piano, stripped down with piano. So still vocals, but no electronic elements at all. And she calls that Mass Education. So you appreciate how a good song sounds so different, even by the same artists, once you remove all of those elements. In fact, many of the elements John was talking about a moment ago, and you know, get rid of auto-tune. Annie sure. Clark, St. Vincent is not um, big on auto-tune, but it, the songs are, are beautiful and spare and not at all the songs that you danced to when you were getting so ready to go out last year. So it's that same song we just listened to, but it's just her with the piano. Yes. And do you, do you 
it, does it rock as much? I mean, that rocked what we were just listening to rock. I would not say that it rocks, but it's really great. It's really great. And and the more familiar you are with mass seduction, if you liked it, um, you'll enjoy, I think, mass education, too. It's just it proves how flexible she is mm. and what an interesting idea. And one of the intros to these to one of the songs, Savior, she wrote when she was 16. Wow. So, I mean, this is a while ago, but she was always waiting to use it for something. And what's really cool is that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, both she and David Byrne are up for a Grammy um, maybe even in the same category. And the last time I saw them, they were playing together in Boston oh. with, you know, big brass band. And it was it was great. So I just want to mention, if you didn't see David Byrne on Stephen Colbert this year, it there are two videos that I love, but this is one of them. I got home from work, you know, the drive home, pull into the, the, the driveway at midnight, and I came in and my husband is up. He said, you have got to see this. I'm going to rewind it for you. So it's David Byrne singing Everybody's Coming to My House off his American Utopia record that came out this year with his band on stage. But Colbert actually gets a little bit involved. Hmm. Um, no, I wouldn't say a ton. They make use of the entire stage and the audience. Whoever ran camera for this, you know, should get a, a Christmas bonus, unlike any <laughs> other, because he, he or she had to follow David Byrne around in the front and walk backwards. It's so much fun. And all the musicians are barefoot in gray suits. Oh, well, that part I don't like. Well, you don't. We're only So David Byrne, former lead singer of the Talking Heads. There you go. Okay, I was going to say, I don't <laughs> yeah, know his name. Do. You do. totally you, recognize you, Talking yes, Heads there. You, yes. you do, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, it's really fun. If you need a little, like, you know, four minutes of uplifting music video, I would do that. And then the um, posthumous Chris Cornell video with his son riding around Seattle on a paper route is really mm. awesome, too. Speaking of posthumous, anyone want to hear my musical highlight of the year? Okay. Yes. That second week of August, uh, my wife and I went down to Washington to help my daughter-in-law babysit for our new granddaughter. So it was uh, unbelievably wretched weather. Uh, couldn't go out. It was so hot and humid and rainy. Swampy. So we're indoors with a baby for a, in the air conditioning for a week. Uh, and Aretha Franklin passed away the day oh, we got down yeah. there. So every TV news station, every radio station was wall-to-wall Aretha. And if you needed a reminder of just the incredible breadth of her talent, the types of musical genres that she succeeded in, everything from opera to obviously to soul and jazz, it was just incredible. And uh, Hardly a dry eye in the house that week, except when we were playing with the baby. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you needed that. that she was didn't a bomb have any dry eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I say my favorite musical moment to end the year is this week that Stevie Nicks is being in, the first woman to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice as a solo artist now. She's already in with Fleetwood Mac. Uh, she's just the queen. Love her. I just think that's so great. I was glad the cure finally got into yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> they deserve it. Yeah, the zombies, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's that about? And we're going to close it out with one last great record, perhaps the least accessible, if you will, but important. This is the band Low. Um, this is sort of the black licorice of my list. I love black licorice. I waited for this record. It's very unusual. Who are they? I've never even heard so of them. So they're a Midwestern trio. Been around for a long time. They actually have um, a great Christmas song. And I would say most of their other records rely on sort of the... Uh, huskiness of the lead male singer's voice, Alan Sparhawk, and um, and the woman's voice, and they match up beautifully. This record was, from my understanding, sort of um, 
their answer to what's happening uh, politically. Hmm. And it's very um, – it's a little uncomfortable as it yeah. starts. And it ends in a way that's a little um, – droning, but with these beautiful moments in between. That song we were listening to, Tempest, actually, despite all the fuzziness at the beginning, almost like all the fuzziness cleans out, and there's this very sparse, beautiful sound in in the middle with minimal singing, um, it, it, like like clarity in a storm. Mm. Um, it, it is a really great record that you can't listen to um, if you need something uplifting and <laughs> and bouncy. Right. But for those moments where you like just want to sit yeah. and listen. So at some point there we start to hear yes. voices and actual words. Yes, but I would say, you know, sort of like a movie with very little dialogue, there isn't a, as I would say the um, the music and the vocals are probably 50-50. You know, mm. it's very ambient. It's more of an atmosphere album then. It's very atmospheric, yeah. yes. When but you need a movie to cry to. <laughs> yeah, kind of or, or to, I like to think about. You know, when you're yeah. like, I don't know, I, I don't drink scotch, but I, I like the smell of it um, <laughs> when other people drink it. But it's sort of like when you sit back and you're just, you just want to yeah. let something sink in and right. you need to slow down. It's that record. I'm a Pink Floyd guy, so okay. I think I would enjoy this. Yes, along the same lines. The one thing I would say, you know, when you go to an art exhibit and there's digital art and so they, there's a warning sign, if you have migraines, you may want to yeah. take it easy. If you had <laughs> any kind of, I would say, um, you know, um, you know, uh, an ear problem, yeah. <laughs> you might you might need to adjust because there are some really strange, interesting things that happen. But they might not be interesting if if they were if they were hard for your brain to process. <laughs> I listened to it as I was getting ready for work, and I was like, "Wow, this was absolutely the wrong time to take this." <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I can't. You want to pay attention to it, and I don't think all music is that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this definitely is. So, if you're adventurous and you like black ric- licorice, <laughs> I would say. Uh, Lowe's double negative I do like is black your record. Licorice. I don't understand why people don't like black. Oh, I, I love it. I, I love it too. And some people just can't. Tell wow, yeah. we have a club going here, John. John, you are, in? You black are you black licorice or anti-black licorice? Guy? We're gonna uh, let you anything in. like Cool in the Gang. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, it was so awesome to have you in to talk about music. I, I had a sense that you were a music connoisseur, but not to this extent. I didn't know how deep into it you are. It's you know really what? awesome. I love it. And and if people have suggestions or things that they love, they should send them in. We should totally. talk about it because yes. um, it's just something that connects people. And uh, and I love it. We don't get to talk about it enough in the And news. why live here if you don't, aren't into music? A great music scene here in Boston. Hard mm. to beat. Yeah, so it's, it's one of the top cities yep. in the country for music. And hey, it's great. I agree. So we're off for Christmas week. Yep. So Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. God happy, bless us, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy everyone. New Year as happy well. New we're going to be back. Yeah. The third will mm-hmm. be our first uh, podcast of 2019. That's Unbelievable! Right. I can't believe, believe we're that? there. The last year of the decade. Right? Season yeah. three. 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 Be, three. Right. It'll be Amazing. season three. So have a wonderful Christmas. Yes. A wonderful New Year. And Lisa, what's your Twitter handle? Lisa so can... at Lisa WBZ. I'm, I'm at Liam WBZ. Uh, at Keller at Large. At Paula Eben WBZ, and we want you to give us a rating and a review, subscribe and share. And our the, our Twitter handle for this the podcast is at Studio BZ Pod. And one thing we can guarantee you about 2019, we'll, we'll be seeing you. <laughs> John always sneaks, always sneaks up on yeah, yeah. <laughs> you. Oh, I like it. It's like your version of the end of the talk.